Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Today we have Elaine Mingus. I believe I pronounced your name right. Did I pronounce it? Oh, right. that is amazing because it's one of those things I forgot to even ask you when we were uh, talking before we started. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, Elaine is easy. And then I looked at the last name and I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. It's like, <laughs> so it's awesome. Okay. I got it right on the first time. So I'm proud of myself. <laughs> so I want to say thank you for being on the show. I am super stoked about uh, this recording and I'd love to get started with the way I usually start my podcast, which is a little bit of who you are, what you do and how you got there. Awesome. So I am, my name is Elaine Mingus. I live in Austin, Texas, and I sell vintage furniture. It uh, didn't start out that way. I started picking stuff up on the side of the road just to pay off some debt. I have a very large family of nine people. We have seven children. And I just started picking up stuff on the side of the road, selling it, paid off debt. And within our first e-commerce year, we cleared $100,000 in sales. So it's just been a roller coaster of just something I never thought I'd be doing because this is not what I, uh, you know, went to school for. So um, that's just a, my story in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, what did, what did you go to school for? So I went to the University of Texas in Austin for a degree in journalism. So I was a writer. I've been a speaker. I've uh wrote books. I was um, collaboration with a New York Times bestselling author and was featured on her website, among other things. Um, but I kind of laid that down right before 2020 and started doing what I do now. Right now, how come? Like, what was the inspiration to switch there? So when I, I was a blogger for 10 years, and it was just a kind of a passion project. And somewhere around 2000, so I started kind of in the heyday of blogging when like, if you had a blog, you were going to be popular 2005, 2007. And it was just kind of hobby. And then right around 2011 is when you kind of started seeing blogs, how to make money blogging, advertisements, Mediavine. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. Like, why not make money on what I'm doing already? And so I went into this, you know, hyper drive of getting all the things done, making all the Pinterest images, um, you know, creating courses, creating uh, Amazon eBooks e and stuff like that for downloading, collecting email subscribers. And after 10 years, I had 50,000 subscribers and all these accolades. But at the end of the day, I was working 40 hours a week, making $1,000 a month. And it just was not cutting it. Um, my family was in, you know, financial distress. And so I was just like, this is not working. Right before 2020, I got some really devastating news that I had been flown up to New York and I was going to get this prestigious job. And right before Thanksgiving, I found out, nope, didn't get the job. And I just was crushed. Like, like when my boyfriend broke up with me in high school, crushed, like I was on my bed crying, just like, I don't know what to do. And that's just when I kind of got this, you know, I'm, I'm going to go all in on this and, um, paid off our $10,000 worth of debt at, you know, in six months was able to pay off a pop-up camper, paid our groceries in cash. And then the pandemic hit. So it just, and it was just kind of a, a perfect, situation to be in during the pandemic because people were redoing their houses. Everything was closed down. Shipping delays were happening. And it just put me in the perfect place at the perfect time to be offering items that were already being put on the side of the road because there was no 
you know, donation stores open. And so it was just sitting there and it's just going to go to the landfill. It's always picking up, cleaning it off, making sure it was sanitized, doing contactless porch pickup. Venmo was really taking off. Facebook marketplace was really taking off. I get cash underneath my doormat. And um, it just during a time when everybody, the entire world was in financial and job insecurity, we as a family of nine were the most secure we had ever been. And so that's just kind of how I shifted. And it just, it's been easy. It's a no brainer. Like I'm making money and working less than, you know, 20 hours a week. Well, that's awesome. Actually, that is really awesome. So how do you find your, like, I find it interesting, right? Like, I'm not going to lie. Vintage pieces. That's, uh, you know. Like that's not something you would think of off the bat, right? Like it's, uh, I, I can see the, uh, the joy people get out of it. Cause some people really like, you know, remodeling things or like fixing things up and, you know, having that kind of character mixed in with modern and it's kind of like a trend in a sense. And, you know, and some people really love that. And it's not something you think of, like you see it on HGTV, like they do that stuff and, you know, it's not something you think of that's out there, right? You, you wonder, it's like sometimes you would think, well, if you have older, like you go into a home, you see an older piece and a newer piece mixed in, you think, mm-hmm. oh, that's something they brought from their old house. You would never think that there's actually a business out there where you can get the stuff like that. And for you to find that, create it and serve that, that's pretty incredible. Right? Yeah, like that, it, that's open-minded, it, right? It's been really cool because, you know, I started out picking up stuff on the side of the road and it didn't start with vintage furniture, which is what my specific focus is now. I was picking up Sterilite containers. I was picking up igloo coolers. Like I'd pick up coolers that people had, you know, somebody got a Yeti and they threw out their old, you know, janky, you know, not janky, but like coolers that weren't as prestigious. And so I'd stack, you know, four coolers up and I'd say, $20, $30 for coolers. Well, coolers are $20 a piece. And I'd have people who were like, they just wanted to take them on their fishing trip and ice it down and put their, their bass in it. And they would come and pick it up or a dollhouse. And, and it was seconds before the crash truck was coming. Like it was destined for the landfill. So I'm not only doing like offering a dollhouse for a quarter of the price that it's at Walmart, but I'm also saving it from the landfill. Um, And then at some point we did switch to vintage so that I was able to kind of um, harness that market that was really trending here, especially in Austin and having all the people coming in from New York and California into Texas during the pandemic, just, I mean, it really was a sweet spot for me. Right. Well, how did you uh, market that? Right. Like, like you went into vintage, but why vintage over anything else? Like, we'll start off with that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, um, love, I've always loved vintage. I've always shopped at the vintage, you know, thrift stores and I kind of had a, a funky vibe and style, but what really was the kicker for it is I was just selling stuff, you know, random stuff. And sometimes I find a really cool antique dresser and I'd clean it up and put wood glue on it and make sure it was good for sale. But what happened was nothing short of a miracle is on Facebook marketplace. I saw for $50, a entire storage unit full of vintage items. And it was a 10 by 20 storage unit, $50. The catch was I had to go right then. I had to clean it all up by the end of the day. And like I had to, you know, I had to get there right then. And so I like rallied the troops, had my stepdad come, one of my good friends come and we took a trailer and two trucks and just went to town and got everything, didn't matter what it was, boxed it all up, took it home and started sorting it. And I have a hundred foot tandem driveway, like where cars go one behind the other, but it's super long. And so it filled the entire hundred foot tandem driveway 
And, but in two days it was going to rain. So I had to like really quickly sort through all these items. And I started putting up these like antique teacups and just like a dollar teacup, like just, and I would have collectors come and they would just wipe me out of all these things. I, I way undersold myself and, but I made my $50 plus some, I probably, you know, $50 turned into two or 3000 really, really quick. And that's when I realized vintage is the way to go. There's an entire market. I love it anyhow. Um, and you know, it's, I always have this mantra that it's like, I'm keeping history out of the landfill. These discarded, these unwanted items are a piece of history. And so by putting them in your house, you're kind of becoming like a, a modern day museum of sorts. So I just love the whole concept of vintage furniture and being sustainable and using what we already have, especially as a mom of seven kids, where most of my life I'd had to make do with what we had because we were not doing well financially. Makes sense. Now I like that. I like how you, uh, I like how you got into like niche down market like that. It's uh, but again, with anything, nothing comes without a struggle. So what was the biggest hurdle you found and like, how did you feel about it? Once you like, how did you get out of it? How did you feel about it? Like, like, cause you know what, sometimes we get into big hurdles where we start questioning ourselves, like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Now you told us like with the blogging, right. You started making a thousand dollars a month. You're struggling. So it became the, like, why am I still doing this? I got to do something different. Right. So even though now you're doing quite well with the vintage, I'm sure it wasn't just the, I woke up that morning and boom, my pockets were full. I mean, I'm yeah. sure it came with some hurdles and uh, did it make you, you know, wonder why you were still doing it or did you know right away? You know, it was just kind of a slow, you know, a slow tide rolling in on my life and it just was the next best step. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and making that next best move. And definitely there's been ups and downs with sales. Sometimes, you know, I'm worried, oh my goodness, we're not making as much like, um, and there's definitely things that I've had to, you know, think about. One of the biggest hurdles that I faced was actually going from just like, this is my hobby. This is what we're doing to kind of, you know, make ends meet, bring extra income in to this is what we're doing full time. And the point of, of, where that really came to a head was when my husband who was working at a, we're both um, kind of have, I was a journalism major. He was in a radio, television, film. And during the pandemic, he lost, he's got, you know, furloughed, lost his job because events were not a thing anymore. You couldn't go, you know, film events. And so he got a job doing a video on demand, like stay at home situation. And so he was kind of, because I was working on the furniture and he was working at home. He was kind of helping me homeschool the kids. You know, when I went make deliveries, he'd come with me. And we were kind of doing this like tandem parenting thing while he was still kind of working because it was such a, just a mindless job that he could do. And he was really good at, and they were calling people back to the office and he, we had, we had started the e-commerce in January of 2002, I uh, sorry, January, 2022. And he was like, we were like, well, it doesn't make sense for you to go back to the office. Like they're not paying you enough. And gas was like $5 a gallon. So they're definitely not paying you enough to drive all the way to the office and then have to, you know, then I wouldn't be able to work the business and I'd have to go back to 
being the sole homeschooler of my seven kids. And so we were like, you know, between January, we knew kind of it was coming. So between January and June of 2022, we were like, if we make this certain amount a month, we're going to bring you home. And it was like very evident, but by June, by June, it was, it was like a no brainer, but it still was really scary because now you're like, I like, this is it. Like, this is what no one else is paying our, our bank account. You know, it's, it's us paying our own bank account, becoming really doing this for real. Um, and so we just prayed about it and we kept, you know, we were like, this makes sense. Like, it doesn't make sense for you to go back. And in, even if you did, even if this fails, like the amount of money you're making there, like you can go to Home Depot, like it's not that much. <laughs> so it wasn't, you know, it was just, it was scary. Um, but we haven't looked back and it's just, you know, I mean, we've had months that are really amazing and we've had months that are not so amazing, but you know, we just keep rolling with the punches and, and, and obviously definitely trying to create other streams of income, uh, is, is one of my biggest things right now to make sure that if this part dries up for a hot second, I have something else to rely on. Which makes sense. Now, with that being said, I mean, that's incredible. It's like, you didn't just come up with one extra income. Basically, you, you created something that uh, you're relying to replace two incomes. Yeah. Well, so, now that's opportunity. Right? Like, and I can see why it was scary because <laughs> there's no safety net in that. Um, no. Which is awesome. I mean, awesome. I mean, good for you for finding that opportunity. Good for you for actually taking the leap and doing that. You, you saw what the potential problem could be if you didn't do this. And realize that it's not the life you wanted. So you took the leap of faith and here you are. So that's good. Yeah. So with that being said, now, how do you find your supplies now? Like, cause I'm sure it's not like, like, I'm sure it's not like you open up your door and it's on your front porch. Somebody dropped it off and there you go. Right. Yeah. So you have to, there's a, you know, like everything, there's a form of sourcing out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so without totally divulging all my secrets, um, you know, I just, I'm always out there and it's not really about where I source, but it's about the constant, consistent looking for things that fit my niche market. And so part of that has been because vintage is something that like, I have to actively be sourcing on a regular basis. I mean, I am, you know, feet to the ground, going out, looking for things, talking to people, you know, collaborating with people. And, you know, I have to do that constantly, but vintage, you know, it's, you have to constantly look like it's nothing, it's not something you can really scale. And so I've been looking at ways that I can scale my market and, and what I'm selling. And so I've started working with importers. We import uh, brand new and vintage Moroccan rugs and from straight from Morocco. So these, the tribes, people and the Atlas mountains will, weave hand weave these Moroccan rugs they are beautiful. They tell a story. Some of them are vintage. Some of them are brand new. And so we import those. Those are added to our inventory and they've been received really, really well. And so just kind of trying to think outside the box on how to make sure that I can scale up, that I'm not just, you know, at the end of the day, 10 years down the road, I don't want to be lifting couches. Like I'm 42 now, my husband's 50, like eventually our backs are going to give out. So we have to kind of think, what can we do so that we can continue to do this and maybe potentially hire people on, which we do have our first employee that is um, doing some of my uh, listing and posting. And so it's just uh, kind of thinking, just keep thinking outside of the box. Right. So now with this business, like how do you get 
the word out there? Like, how do you sell these? Like, do you, like, is it strictly online or, or, or do you have, uh, like, you have like a warehouse, do you have a, uh, or is it everything online? Like, do, do, how do people find you? You know what I mean? Like, cause again, just to, just to store stuff as an example, just to get something put in your garage and saying, I want to sell it. You know, there's not going to be this telepath out there that somebody says, Oh, Elaine's going to have it in her garage. I better yeah. find her number. Right. You know, like you got to get the word out there. You're building up a brand and a reputation. And so like, talk about the process of how you built up that reputation and brand and how you got the products out there. Yeah, absolutely. So I first was just putting them in my house. Like my garage was filled with garage stuff. And so I, you know, we would just have furniture all over the place, all over the house. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, you know, sometimes I was okay with that. And then sometimes I was like between seven kids and homeschooling and pieces of furniture everywhere. I was like, this can't happen. And so the summer of 2021, I completely gutted. We had our garage was um, totally like down to the studs. And so I had to lay insulation. I had to put the, uh, I have a faux brick wall up. I had to hang a chandelier. I had to, you know, put a ceiling in. And so I spent a lot of time doing that so that I could have a secondary storage. And now I also have a storage unit that allows me to house a lot more furniture. I probably have between 30 and 40 pieces at any given time so that I can continue continue to keep that pipeline of sales going and not rely on just selling that one piece of furniture. As for marketing myself, I, because of the time period that I started doing this, Facebook marketplace was really taking off. Um, it's Facebook marketplace now, like it's still good. It's great, but it has all these weird algorithms and bots and, 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 and they keep changing where the messages are. It's kind of not as great as it once was. Um, I wish they would stop touching it. <laughs> and, um, but I would, I would just post on Facebook marketplace um, because that's where the shoppers are. So I, I mean, you know, I don't need to recreate the wheel. I can, you know, and I definitely didn't want to have overhead like in Austin post pandemic, you know, a thousand square feet uh, with a business space could be $4,000. And I'm just not willing to, to throw down $4,000 when my house, my garage and the $300 a month storage unit is enough. And so I started on Facebook marketplace in Austin. We have this amazing female, community called all hers it's at forallhers.com and it is an austin facebook marketplace like it's a marketplace style and then they also have community women's events so we have clothing swaps and stuff like that so it's a really tight-knit community that's just growing i mean it's just blowing up and expanding here in austin that's open for women so it allows women to buy products safer they're not you know they're you know they are more willing to venmo you or for me they check out on my website and they're not worried about getting scammed. You don't have to worry if it's a bot. So that has been a great blessing because I'm here in the Austin, Texas area. They do plan on expanding outside into other major cities. But right now they're really focusing on making sure that the this pilot program is the best it possibly can be. And um, so Facebook Marketplace, all hers. And then I started Instagram because I was following some other vintage resellers thinking, gosh, they're so awesome. Like I could never charge that much. I can never be like them. And um, I just started like kind of, I'm going to post a couple things, like things that I already sold that I was really proud of that I'd staged really nice that were vintage on my Instagram. And I was like sold. <laughs> like, so it made me look like I, I was already sold. Like it sold right away. Um, I didn't have any followers, so it was just me, but I really also wanted to just show my friends and my family, like, look what I'm doing. And so that's kind of how it started. 
And then um, I partnered with somebody who was liquidating their vintage inventory for personal reasons. And her, she had a very large platform. And so part of the deal was all the things that I bought from her, she was going to reshare on her platform. And so that got me a lot, like a lot more clout in the vintage community. And then also not forgetting that there's an offline portion to sales. I get on the street, I go to the vintage markets. I know I get to know all the people. I don't, you know, just sit online. Like it, I put a face to a name. Yeah. And that's a good point there. So you brought up a, a few good things there, like a, a few nuggets as I'll call it. Like it's amazing that it doesn't matter what industry you're in. When something new comes up, that same fear of change hits everybody. And it doesn't matter what industry it is. And I, and when you said you were going onto Instagram, you, you also revealed the portion where your inner voice was trying to talk you down. Right. Yeah. And I think everyone goes through that. And now where the nugget here isn't that you're being talked down because everyone gets talked down. It's the fact that you were able to realize it and just go past it anyways. Yeah. Right. So yeah. many times, you know, we let ourselves be held back because of that voice. Yeah. The biggest struggle is always between your two ears. Like it's that's if you can get this in check, the rest of it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And then you found a way. Like, look, you recognize right away that there's uh, changing algorithms in Facebook. And although it's inconvenient and it's annoying, you realize that you can't have your business all on one platform because that platform can disappear. Absolutely. So you, you went out there and you tried to source different opportunities. And you even found one where just say the Internet crashes, not that it's going to, but just say, you know, like it, it does come true one day you still have an avenue to get out there. You built something that's not just internet related. Like right. you found the need to build relationships out there. Absolutely. And let's, let's be honest, most, some of the best business that's built out there are built by reputation and by, um, and, and by, yeah, by reputation and by building relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely building relationships are huge. And, a lot of my relationships that started offline continue online. And I also remember that like, I'm a person, these people are people and they want to be validated. So like, if there's a Instagrammer that, you know, doesn't sell vintage furniture, but maybe buys vintage furniture and like, she's a home, de you know, decorator, like that's what she does. I make sure to comment on her post, DM her every once in a while and, you know, tell her how amazing she is. Not because I'm trying to like brown nose, but because I honestly am, impressed by what they do. And I, I take the time to make sure that I tell people because people want to hear that they're doing, like we all need to be validated. And so just remembering what I love and giving it out to other people and making sure that other people feel loved and appreciated for what they do and building relationships like that. And definitely just being offline really does help sometimes going to those networking events, going to those conferences. And, uh, and you know, you never know who, can scratch your back and whose back you can scratch at the same time. Cause that's a win-win when we both can, when everybody can help everybody else out, then we're both winners. Absolutely. Love that. Now here, you brought up a point, right? Cause you're building up relationships. Now, do you keep some form of a database or CRM that with all your, uh, whether it's clients, vendors, or anybody you uh, build in that little network? Um, or do you just keep it on your phone and hope you remember everybody? 
Um, I try to make notes and I, and I definitely like when a customer is buy something, I, you know, there's a note section in Shopify cause that's what I use for my e-commerce. So I'll write, you know, I, I met them on Facebook. We talked about this. They have a dog, they have a husband, you know, and you know, I can put little notes like that, but yeah, for the most part, like if it's not easy, I can't do it. I've got seven kids. I go home at five o'clock or, you know, and I've got to make the every plate meal or I've got to buy Christmas gifts. So, you know, it, having a CRM or something super organized, like that, those are the things I would need to hire out. You know, I know uh, I've talked about it a couple of times, the quadrant of things that you do. And the one quadrant is things that you do really, really well. And you love doing things that you love doing, not so great at things that you hate doing, but are really good at and things that you hate doing and suck at and to outsource those bottom that bottom half of the quadrant. And so something like organization or finances is something that like I would, I need, I, you know, outsource Um, something like posting dimensions. Like I hate taking furniture, dimensions, but it's necessary. People want to know if the piece is going to fit in their thing. So I, you know, employ my husband. um, he's he's an employee but he's not the employee I hired but I employ my husband get those dimensions and I you know we just do it by text and stuff like that so it's not super organized one day maybe I'll be more organized makes sense now again because the reason I was asking is because sometimes you get new pieces and sometimes repeat business can be the best source Mm -hmm. right and the cheapest to acquire because they've already done business with you Mm-hmm. So I thought like I was trying to figure out if you have like a monthly newsletter or a way that you keep in touch with everybody. Yes, absolutely. So I do. I give 10% off to my email customers. And at this point, I used to offer free delivery for items over a certain amount. I don't do that anymore because it was uh, clouding my schedule too much. And um, I figured actually they don't really care about delivery as much. If they off- if you offer it, they'll, they'll take it. But it was just, it was causing a lot of stress and strain on my business. And I wasn't able to do the things that actually made me more money. So I mixed that. I do still offer the 10% for email subscribers. And then inside Shopify, I'm able to run reports and figure out who is a return customer, repeat customer. And I absolutely value those repeat customers and will send them, you know, incentives because they bought items. And, um, you know, I, I build up relationships. I don't when I do, and I do still do delivery when I deliver, I make sure that like, I don't just deliver and get out. Like, I want to know who they are, where they work, what they're going to use this piece for, because it's a very sacred thing for someone to allow you in their home. And so, yeah, I absolutely have a weekly vintage email furniture newsletter and I release furniture every Tuesday at 8 AM via email and 8 PM on social media. So I have a schedule so that people can, um, know what to expect the next week. Makes sense. Now you brought up a good point and you said it a few times about your uh, hectic schedule because of your uh, family dynamics. So, which brings up the point that what is your typical weekly schedule like? Like we got it that Tuesdays you, you send out your letters with uh, like with your weekly news, like your weekly newsletter for all the new furniture and everything. But I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, you don't wake up Monday morning at uh, 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 8 a.m. and just say, wow, it's a lovely day. What shall I do today? Um, I'm going to assume that you sort of have some form of a plan. And now, obviously, with seven children and nine people in the house, plans tend to change. But I'm willing to bet you're just not guessing on what you're doing. 
So that's a great question. And one that I've actually had to struggle to figure out that balance, that work-life balance, because it is really hard and I value my family a whole bunch. And I don't want them to be like, well, mommy always worked or she loves work more than me, which is definitely something that as you know, somebody who's really driven, that can be a, a downfall in my personality. So I'm very cognizant of that. And so I've really tried to make a some boundaries. One specific bound, boundary that I have made is that I have a co-working space because a lot of times the kids would see me on my phone sitting on the couch and my PJs and, you know, I'm posting things, I'm, I'm making videos for social media and it just looks like I'm chilling out. Like I'm relaxing on my phone in my blog puzzle drool and they don't necessarily understand that my phone is my work. And so I, th- me and my daughter had a conversation and I was like, Hmm, like, Mommy has a real job. So I employed I, I'm at Wilco Workspaces here in Williamson County. And it was just, it was a no brainer for me. These are people that share the same values. Some friends already have offices here. So I'm able to, you know, network here offline as well with people that are in my current area and have a co-working space that I can, you know, create images. I can do social media. I can do podcasts and um, I'm not getting interrupted by little people. And then at 5 PM it's, you know, work overtime and um, I just go home. So there are, but there are some times where I have to stay home and I have certain schedules. So like on Friday and Saturday, I stay home and we photograph furniture in my studio and we have to do it now, especially with the daylight savings time, which I hate. <laughs> uh, we have to do it at a certain time so that we can use natural lighting so that the furniture can look the best it possibly can. And, um, you know, and so that's a little more difficult because like, you know, the kids will come in and Friday we homeschool four days and then on Friday they're off. So they're like coming in and they're like, hey, can we go to the Dollar Tree? And I'm like, mommy's working. Like I'm here, but I'm not here. <laughs> um, so, th- you know, I do have schedules, but, you know, it's a constant balancing act. Like it's not perfect. It never will be perfect, but we just try to find those things that are problematic and, and, and identify the problem in our family or my work-life balance and then attack it. One of the biggest things that has been such a blessing is my, because my husband's home, he's able to do the homeschool, but he wasn't able to, you know, cook and clean. And so we, you know, getting a, a, a housekeeper was one, like a no brainer too. Like, and now that we can afford it, we just have someone come in and do all the little details. Cause my kids have chores, but you know, things weren't getting as clean as you would like it to be. And so that's what we did. And we also um, subscribed to a meal box and we, it's the cheapest one. It's the most kid friendly one, in my opinion, called every plate. And it comes to my door on Sunday night. It's, it's all pre, like I've got all the things and I've got the recipes and then I come home at five, I cook dinner. So we actually have dinner at six o'clock every night and we eat together as a family, which is something because my husband was in videography and he worked crazy hours. We didn't do for the first, you know, 16 years of our marriage. So, um, this is, it's, we've actually more organized now than we probably have ever been. Well, that's incredible. That's great. Right. Like that's, that's a good thing. Like sometimes things in life happen, right? Like the pandemic, it happened, right? So you can choose whether it happened to you or for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and with that being said, right, like what, um, like what's your, how old is your eldest and how old is your youngest? So we've been married for almost 20 years and my oldest is 18. She'll be at 19 uh, this next year, pretty soon. And she's moved out of the house. So we actually only have six at home now, um, but we graduated her from homeschool 
Um, and she does really, she's just doing amazing things. And then we have a four-year-old. So we, uh, you know, basically pregnant and or nursing for 14 years straight between me and my husband. Wow. That's awesome. But where I was going with this, I mean, because you also started a business throughout all this. Now, did you struggle with mom guilt? Oh, absolutely. I do not know any women that doesn't struggle with mom guilt because you just, you know, I think we, you know, we were created for, to, you know, to be perfect. And then we don't measure, measure up. And we, you know, we always have this idea of like, what, what's supposed to be. And so you want to give your children the best. You want to always answer with a sweet a voice, but you know, and you're doing a hundred different things and you're on a call or, you know, you, and, and you've got a short time to do it. You can get really short and, you know, you don't, and, and then you're like, oh, well now they feel like, like but mommy doesn't want them around. And, and, I mean, you just go through it all. And so just constantly, you know, like I said, the battle is in the mind and realizing that you are, you have to be both hats and you can't be everything at all the time just trying to find that balance. And then also one of the biggest things is that if you do find yourself getting short with a kid because they interrupted work or something, go apologize. You know, they are so, they want mommy's opinion, approval. They, they don't want to be yelled. You don't want to yell at them. Like we're all in this together. If you apologize, they're so willing and ready to be like, you know, it's okay, mommy. It's you. I understand. And then they take that into their lives because they're not going to be perfect either. And so you're creating this, atmosphere of grace for each other and that we're all doing this together and sometimes it's messy and that's okay i'm just blown away that you said you're not perfect i thought moms were perfect <laughs> just kidding sometimes <laughs> um yeah that is awesome right and i love how you describe the process and how messy it can be and you know how you work around it like that's great because i mean there's a lot of people out there that some people you know they internalize and they hold it right. And, and, and it eats at them because they never figure that process out and there's no perfect way. It's just a matter of what's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's like, uh, there's a Sarah McLaughlin, I'm dating myself, uh, album title and it's called fumbling towards ecstasy. And I always like love that title. Cause it's like, that's what we are. We're fumbling towards that, per that perfect thing. Like, and it's just a mess, but you know, as long as we're trying our best and we're, you know, being honest with ourselves and we're not internalizing a lot of that guilt and that shame. Um, I think, you know, and just admitting that, you know, we all need each other. We all need help. We all need forgiveness. All right. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you two final questions before we get into what I call the lightning round, which is a bunch of fun questions uh, that get us to know a little bit more about you. Thanks. So second last question is how do you know you've had a successful day? Whoa, so that's that's intense. I actually just heard about a, like a life habit that you're supposed to implement. And it's to, at the end of every day, tell yourself or talk to yourself three things that went really, really well. And so just reminding yourself that you did, in fact, accomplish things and maybe it wasn't the things that you had set out to accomplish that day but that you did accomplish things and so I think that that's a really really good habit habit to see if you had a successful day um you know 
I would love to say a successful day looks like a ton of sales, but sometimes you don't get sales. So it's really, you don't want to measure your success on money, but just that you're doing your best next step. So if you did everything in your power, that was like the next best step to each of the things you're trying to achieve, then I think you've had a good day. And I'm an honest believer that if you just put your head down, you keep doing what you're doing. And if you're, you're resonating with your audience, the sales will come because sales ebb and flow. Um, and that's definitely not how we should like put our value on, you know, and ourselves because we are amazing just as we are without anything else. Um, and so just really realizing that your value does not lie in that bottom line, that dollar sign in your bank account. And so that's, you know, just did I love well, did I, did I live well? Love it. And last question, but not least, is where and how do people find you? So I am trying this next year in 2023 to increase kind of my speaking presence and encourage people. It was kind of connected to vintage furniture because so many people are kind of feel like maybe a piece of vintage furniture, lost, forgotten, stuck in the back shed, needs some work, right? And so I want to kind of incorporate that message in the next kind of go round. Um, and so that if you're looking for a speaker or a podcast guest, um, you can find me at elainemingus.com. And you can also find me on YouTube. And then at, if you're in the Austin area, or even if you're not, I do ship uh, nationwide. You can check out curbvulture.com. That's C-U-R-B-V-U-L-T-U-R-E, like the animal, because I used to vulture the curbs. And, um, or you can find me on Instagram at curbvulture on Instagram. Fantastic. That was awesome. So now let's get into the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you my favorite question, and which is going to be the first question. What is your favorite food and why? Ooh, I love, it's not a food. It's, it's a drink. I love coffee. I love coffee all day long, any way I can get it. And um, I, I just, that's what I, I probably, if, if I'm like, were to say, should I give up food or coffee? I would choose, I would give up food in a heartbeat. Coffee is the way to go. Sounds good to me. So. Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons, or local coffee shop? Uh, I'm a Starbucks gal because I can go and get my black drip coffee and it tastes the same everywhere I go. <laughs> Good reason, right? Consistency is everything. Just it's like consistency us. in business, yeah. consistency a, in coffee is important. Yeah, I'm a huge Starbucks fan. Um, I know, you know, sometimes they get, you know, a bad rap maybe some, to, to some sex of society, but I read both of his books and he's a brilliant genius businessman i i think he's just and he and he's all about local community and i just think his his message is really beautiful awesome i'm a starbucks fan myself except i'm into those five dollar coffees which, oh yeah yeah if you read his uh book he hates that label <laughs> uh but anyways you know what coffee's coffee coffee's good like you said i can have yeah. coffee all day long so yeah. Favorite vacation spot? Well, one of part of my story is the reason why we got into debt and I had to start picking up stuff on the side of the road and what really 
launched what I do now is because we took a vacation, our very first vacation that we'd ever taken and flown the kids to Hawaii. So that was like a magical spot. I don't know if I would say it was my favorite vacation spot. I We have a pop-up camper that I love taking out. Um, my kids probably don't love taking it out so much. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know what? It's the magical spot because it got you into debt and getting you into debt is the you know is what got you into uh, finding the opportunity that you did. Yeah. So definitely, we'll say it's magical. <laughs> there we go. Uh, favorite book? I My favorite book of all time is The Dynamics of, now I'm forgetting the title, Secrets of Dynamic Communication by Ken Davis. He is just, I mean, amazing. Just little tips on like when you're speaking and you're telling stories. Um, he deals with a lot of like, you know, pastors who are trying to, you know, give a good speech at churches. Um, I was told to read it when I worked with the New York Times bestselling author and I was writing on her blog. It was like one of the prerequisites to read this book, The Secrets of Dynamic Communication. And it changed just how I talk, how I make sure to focus on one, you know, message at a time. And um, it's just made me a better speaker. And it just, everything, all about it. I just love the whole thing. All right. Now, since we're on a podcast and we talk about podcasts, what's your favorite podcast? Ooh, let's see. I I really love um, She Works His Way. They're a, a just trying to figure out like how to do business in a way that honors God. And so they're just a great podcast. They talk about humility, making sure that you're, you know, how what not to do or do during Black Friday sales, like. And just doing it so that you're above approach and you're, you know, just giving people value and doing it in a way that honors them. Makes sense. All right. Last but not least, here's the key one. If you had unlimited amount of money, but you only get 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? I would probably pay like can I have to buy I'd like to pay off my house. I'd like to just like have that type of security where we can just um, live life and not have to worry about that particular uh, income or expense. It seems really safe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome too, right? You could have done a lot more than that, but that was your default answer and that's okay too, right? Because that's that's your true self. Because a lot yeah. of times what happens is I, I asked that a question on purpose in that way. Because a lot of times when you say, if, you, if I gave you a million dollars, what would you do? And the answer that comes out, people almost feel like they have to give a certain type of answer. Oh, I'd buy a Ferrari. I'd go on vacation. I would do this. I would do that. And, and you don't get the real answer. You get the answer that they think that of what they should do. Yeah. But when I take away that pressure, now you get what's really on the person's mind. Yeah. 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 Well, I just, I want, I want good things for my family. I don't want to be in debt. I want to, uh, just live free and, uh, you know, not being in debt doesn't make you free. So I've learned that the hard well, way. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like the Dave Ramsey thing, right? You slave to the lender. Absolutely. So, I mean, all, we all say we want freedom, and then we go uh, rack up a debt, which means you lost your freedom. 
Exactly. Exactly. So I'm all about being free <laughs> to Love do it. what I can do best. Exactly. Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been incredible. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to many more podcasts and uh, watch, listening and watching each year what you have to offer everybody. Absolutely. Thanks again. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.